0: We're going to continue in uh, Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. It reads, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good, so now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? To God. Amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone here. Uh, as Pastor will say, Happy Mother's Day. Um, I was going to say a little something about that, but I think <laughs> Pastor Will, read, what he read, was just uh, really helpful, and, and help. um, I'm really thankful that he did that. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Simon. Um, I've been at this church for three years with my family. It has been one of the biggest joys in our lives since moving to Greenville, um, and so we're really thankful for this church. Um, yeah, I, I just, I feel like um, in many churches I've been, Uh, Churches also often make it about, like, the church, Um, but I'm really thankful here that we really make it about um, loving Jesus, the gospel, and then loving our neighbors and living on mission. Um, It's just been one of the biggest teaching tools in my life, and so just super thankful for um, this church, and I'm really just um, thankful that I have this opportunity to preach today. Um, Pastor Will, thanks for giving me this space. and so before we get into it, I just want to pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll dig into this meaty, meaty passage. Uh, God, I confess to you that times when, when I do these things, I often rely on study. I rely on preparation. Um, I rely on my own ability. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would really just Take that away right now. Uh, help me to rely solely on your spirit. Help me to rely on the power of the word within itself that I don't need to speak for it. I don't need to give it its power, Lord. The word is your word. It is your breath. It is your voice. It is your written word to us. So I just pray that, we w- that I would just um, stand behind it and let it shine. And God, I just pray that this passage today would be life to us. Uh, I pray that we would walk out these doors after we hear your word, knowing that there is hope for us, that there is goodness and joy for us. Um, so Lord, help me to believe what is being read. Help me to believe what is being preached. And I just pray that the word would land on good soil. I pray that the, our hearts would be good soil to receive this word, to bear fruit. In your name we pray. Amen. So, if you've been to my house, um, you will know that we have a U shaped uh, kitchen counter. So, two walls are up against the wall, two counters are up against the wall. And then there's this third leg of this counter that, that sort of juts out into the middle of our kitchen. And uh, our, our kids climb on this thing constantly. I have two kids, four and two. Uh, they're at that very energetic age. Um, and mobile age. And so they are on this counter nonstop. Uh, and we have said a million times over, the counter is not for climbing. Do not climb on this counter. We have said it a million times in a million different ways. And they do not listen. And they get creative. They climb on the garbage can to get onto the counter. I then move the garbage can away from the counter. They get on their high chair, get on the counter. I, move the high, I flip the high chair on its side so they can't lift it up. They get on a chair to get on the counter. They get their riding toy to get on the counter. No matter what I say or what I do, these kids get on the counter. And no matter how hard I try it, it's like every time we say don't climb on this counter, it's as if they're like, you know what, actually, I want to climb it even more now. And, and and so are we just making this blind rule for no reason? Sometimes, honestly, it's it's an issue of control. I just want them to listen to me. But if I'm being honest, the real reason we have this rule is so that we know that they get up there, excited, they get a little careless, and inevitably the chances are that they'll fall and hurt themselves. And so in our in our love and protection and care for our children, we say, do not get on this counter. And this is exactly what Paul is saying about the law, right? He's saying that the law has a good purpose. He's give God has given us the law. The word of God to protect us, to guide us, so that things will go well for us. And the last passage that Pastor Pastor Will preached on last week, the sin inside of us, do what my kids do. It's like, actually, the thing that you don't want me to do, I want to do it even more now. Like, I want to get on this counter even more because you told me I couldn't. And Paul says, the law says, do not covet. And the sin inside of me has brought up all of this covetousness. Right. And in verse 14, Paul says, and he summarizes the law. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual. But Paul also follows that with I am flesh, sold as a slave under sin. Paul knows that there is this hard wiring of sin within our bodies. So Paul establishes the reality of sin, but then he starts to talk about in this passage the problems that sin actually causes, right? So Paul says, this is the law. This is how our, our, our response to the law. And this is the problem with sin in us. Paul really unpacks that for us in this passage. So today we're going to go through that, go through this passage. We're going to unpack the reality of, the, of sin, the impact it has, and how even as we live in the reality of sin, there's hope for us. Okay? Okay. So I want to re- unpack a couple realities. First, I want to say that sin, this passage says that sin has the power to control. So if we read in verse 14, it says, I am of the flesh sold as a slave under sin. For I know nothing good lives in me, in verse 18, that is in my flesh. Paul oftentimes like, distinguishes spirit versus flesh. And in this case, he says the law is spiritual and that he is of the flesh, and he is, his flesh is sold under slavery to sin. That there's nothing in his body that is good in and of itself. That our bodies are somewhat like sin factories. No matter how hard we try to be good, sin just comes out. And it feels irrational. Like if you read this passage, like Paul, Paul, Paul feels like there's this like kind of craziness to it, right? He's like, I do not understand what I'm doing. I do what I hate. And later in verse 17 says, so I, now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Do you see this like controlling force of sin that lives in us? So here Paul is not necessarily like saying like, well, sin lives in me, so it's out of my control. Like, it's like, it's not my fault. What Paul is really getting to is that, like, the effect of sin, the impact of sin, the influence of sin in our bodies. In in verse 19, Paul says, I practice the evil that I do not want to do. And I want to just talk about sin a little bit in, in some of the ways that we tend to respond to sin. I think in three ways, this is our typical response to sin. One, when we hear about sin from the pulpit or when we talk about sins that people struggle with, we tend to like think about other people. It's like, oh yeah, I know who someone who who struggles with lust. Mm-hmm, I know someone who struggles with anger. Oh, that person has has pride issues. But, or we like to water it down. We use vague and general terms. So well. Nobody's perfect. We call it a mistake. Right? So we use these vague and general terms. Or what we like to do is we like to compare our sins to other sins. Like, yeah, I know I did this thing, but it's not as bad as X. Right? I want you to look at Paul's response in this passage to sin. He says, I... I have this flesh. I have covetousness. I am a slave to sin. He doesn't look at other people and say, "Oh, I know they have a problem." Paul def- like definitively internalizes this problem of sin, right? And so, what I want to do also is to look inward. I don't want us to think about sin, water it down. Let's call it what it is, and let's let's look at, look at ourselves and look at the look at our lives when we look through this passage. The reason why I feel like this is really important is because this passage is talking about the power of sin, but if we start to deflect it, if we start to think about other people, if we start watering it down, what happens is we don't really think it's all that powerful. We don't really think it's all that big of a problem, right? So what we need to do is say, like, what is the sin in my life that I struggle with? What is it point blank? We talk about the law as a mirror, we put, we put the law in front of us and we call it what it is and we deal with it directly so that we can fight back against the control that sin has. So I don't want to speak in generalities but I want to know, I just honestly want to let you know that as I was wrestling with this passage, I myself was like coming to grips with my own sinfulness. So today is Mother's Day and obviously we all know that and there's All these emotions that come with it, I'm a very emotional person. And there are random things in life that I'll look at and it'll just give me the feels. (laughs) But one of the things that that so frequently and often like turns my heart towards joy and love is like watching my wife be a mother. So in my office, I work at my, my office. Oh, I work from home. It faces the front yard. And like today, this week, like after the kids came home from the park, they didn't want to go back inside. Christine brought them out to the front yard and they just like bobbed on in front of my window with like a bike helmet on, but not riding a bike. Um, and Christine's just following after them, making sure they don't get into the street. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And like, I just had like this, like good positive feel about it. And I was so thankful for her and for the way that she mothers our children and raises them. But last week, um, Christine and I both got our second dose of the vaccine. And by Saturday, we were both just run down. It was like poor planning. We're like, let's both get the vaccine on the same day. Um, and so Christine and I usually take turns to like get up early with the kids and watch them. And like she was like struggling with the vaccine, but she got she came in like middle of the morning on Saturday. She's like, hey, Simon, can I get some rest? And can you watch the kids? And I myself was feeling run down. I was tired. I was just so angry. I was so angry that I had to do work when it wasn't my turn. And like the whole morning, like I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing the right things. I'm like making breakfast for the kids. I'm getting them their milk. I made breakfast for Christine. But I'm just in a foul, angry, grumbly, pissed off mood. And then Christine wakes up and like, I just have daggers at her. And just reading this passage, I I was just thinking about it. I was like, I love my wife. I know she's a good mother but in that moment sin crept up and I said things that were hurtful I gave her stares that were hurtful I rolled my eyes at her I was short with my children like do you see like even though I most 99% of the time I love my wife and I think she's a good mother when sin creeps up it's almost as if I can't control it like this anger just came up out of me so what I want us to do is to like look at sin for what it is And understand, like, in my selfishness, in my pride, in my look at all the things that I do for this family, sin came out of me. Even though I knew it was wrong. Sin has, in that moment, had the power to act on my selfish desires and hurt others, even though I objectively didn't want to do that. So I hope you see sin has the power to control. Second, sin has the power to create internal conflict. It creates internal conflict. So you see two sorts of conflicts in this passage. First, you see a conflict of desire and behavior. And then you see this conflict of thoughts and actions. So in verse 15, in verse 18, verse 19, verse 22, just listen to this language. I don't practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. The desire to do what is good is within me, but I have no ability to do it. I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I want to do, that I do not want to do. In verse 22, for, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body. There's this, like as a Christian, you have a desire to do what God wants you to do. You have a desire to obey, but sin is so strong and sometimes it just comes head to head with your good desires. And there's this, this turmoil the struggle, the sense of like, ah, push and pull, right? And that's not just in your heart. It's also in your thoughts. It says in 23, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me a prisoner to the law of the sin in the parts of my body. And in 25, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. There is this like two opposing forces that you are constantly living with as a The thing that you know God says is right and perfect and good. And the thing in your body that says, but I want to do that other thing. And you live in this constant tension. I was reading a book on addiction, uh, substance addiction, this week. And it sort of like painted a picture of, of, of this conflict that we live with every day as believers. Addicts often say that they live with their own doctor inside their minds. There's a doctor telling them, This is what's good for you. You know, you, can't, you know that that's bad for you to go to that well and draw from this thing that your body needs. And there's this doctor inside their minds telling them, Don't do what you want to do. You know it's bad. And addicts feel like they feel like there are two people living inside of them that they're waging war within themselves. Like that is the picture of a Christian waging war on their sin. Like I know that what I want to do right now is bad for me, but man, everything in my body wants it. Again, I'm just going to use my family as an analogy again, but there is a long driveway in our, in our house and SJ has this tricycle that he likes to ride. And the tricycle has, like, handlebars that he can control that's connected to handlebars that I can control. And so, like, really, like, I have all the control. So he's, like, I'm, like, pushing him, and he'll, like, turn the trike, and I'll be, like, nope, can't do that, got to go this way. And there's this, like, point of push and pull until my strength just overcomes, and I take him where I want him to go. That's the conflict that we feel as believers. That God wants me to do this good, but I push and pull and push back as much as I can because I do what I really want to do. So sin creates, also has this power of control, but it also has the ability to create conflict. Third, sin creates commonality. Sin creates commonality commonality between you and me. Like in verse 24, Paul says, Oh, what a wretched, Man, I am. This is Apostle Paul. Pa- Apostle Paul, the church planter. Apostle Paul, the missionary. Apostle Paul, the one who wrote almost more than half of the New Testament. This man himself is saying, Oh, what a wretched man I am. So oftentimes, when we think about sin, we tend to measure each other by our sin. But when you look at the person who's saying, oh what, a, oh, what a wretched man I am, all of us can say, oh, what a wretched man I am. Oh, what a wretched woman I am. right? This is especially important in our church. Because you can look at someone and see the way they're dressed and automatically make assumptions. You can walk these streets and automatically think that you're better than somebody. You can have a high-paying job with a nice title with two kids and a dog and think, I got it all to put together. But the reality is, you should be crying out, oh, what a wretched man I am. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, the pope, a pimp, or a prostitute. You are a wretched man. That is the commonality between all of us. So when someone walks through these doors, we don't have the right to judge someone based on their appearance, based on their actions, based on their merit, based on their awards, based on their accolades. We are all sinful. There is a commonality between all of us that we are all in need of grace, that we have all fallen short. It's easy to stand on our laurels. It's easy to rest on our accomplishments. Paul says it in, other, in, in Philippians, he's, uh, he's the Jew of Jews. He's done everything right, but he considers them all as loss because that doesn't do anything for him. What we tend to do is to compare our sins and our merits versus other people's sins and their merits. And really what it is, it's pigs in a pigsty comparing ourselves with other pigs in the pigsty. There is this commonality between all of us, and sin causes that commonality. I need us to see this because it impacts our church in such a real way where we could actually, if we understand this, live in humility and live with love and live with grace and live with compassion and live with kindness, that none of us are better than the other because we are all wretched people because we are all all affected by sin that we all feel the same conflict that sin has in our bodies so I hope that's the posture we take that we take a posture of humility and love that we love one another and serve one another but loving and serving one another doesn't actually cause, doesn't actually solve the problem of sin, does it? So while sin has the power to control, and while sin has the the ability to create conflict in our hearts and in our minds, there's good news because sin, its effects and its power crumbles before the cross of Christ. In verse 24, Paul says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul talks about sin, all of its impacts. And he gets to the point where he's like, I am a wretched, wretched man. And you know what he doesn't ask? What do I have to do to get rid of this problem? He doesn't ask what? He doesn't ask how? He asks who? Who will rescue me from this body of death? The law itself, while it is good, doesn't give you the power to actually overcome your sin. It is good to not covet. It is good to not commit adultery. But the law itself doesn't say. Doesn't make you not want to commit adultery. The law of do not covet all of a sudden doesn't make you say I don't want to covet anymore. Right? There is a sense where Paul gets to this place. He's like, I am at the end of myself. I can't. I can't solve this problem. And Paul says, Who, not how, and not what. And so the question that he asks, he answers, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is and always will be Jesus. Why is Paul so thankful for Jesus? Because though sin often feels like it has control, and though we have internal conflict, and though we cannot fully obey the law, because of Jesus, we are not bound by it. The law has his claim on us and says, you are guilty of breaking the law. But Jesus, in his perfect life, steps in and says, I will take the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve. And so when you stand before the law and when you stand before God, God does not punish you because he has already punished someone for it. In Jesus, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as we live this life, sin may win the battle, but Jesus has won the war. Every day, sin might win the battle of lust. Sin may win the battle of adultery. Sin may win the battle of addiction. But when that day comes, addiction has no claim on you. Envy has no claim on you. Adultery has no claim on you and no power over you. Jesus has said it is finished. And we, when we go into Romans chapter 8, the first verse, Jesus says, Paul says this, there, Therefore, there is now no condemnation in those in Christ Jesus. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And though you live in this world, in the flesh, And though sin is something that you'll never shed in this life, just know sin no longer has the power to condemn you. That Jesus has defeated sin on your behalf. And by his spirit, when you put faith in him, he gives you the ability to defeat sin, to overcome sin, to win in the day in and day out conflict of sin that he begins to move you in a way where you begin to find victory over sin. So though there's control, though there's conflict, and though we are all sinful, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, that you have overcome sin. Let's pray. God, we have all fallen short. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your love and we need your kindness. God, no one in this room can stand before you and say, I've done enough. I've done all the right things. We have all fallen short. And so, Lord, help us to see the power of sin in a way that is real. Help us to struggle well with it. But help us also to know that we have victory over it through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us hope, give us strength, and encourage us to live this life knowing that you have done what we could not do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.